on Thursday afternoon, Pastor Jeff and I were doing what pastors do on Thursdays, and we were joking around about the quality and the quantity of hair on the heads of two out of the three pastors at Mount Olivet. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. That conversation got me thinking. Got me thinking about the expectation that all of you must have that since two out of three pastors have what could be categorized as top ten hair of United Methodist pastors in Arlington, that I needed to get a haircut. So this weekend, I headed over to the neighborhood barbershop in Falls Church. I sat down in Spud's chair, and I got my ears lowered. Hair is a big deal in my family. I know you can't always tell on Sunday mornings, but Camden and I spend more time washing, combing, drying, trimming, and styling our hair than the ladies in our house. You can say we're trying to break the stereotypes that guys don't care about how they look. And let me tell you, it takes a lot of effort to look this good. When we first moved Arlington, I was anxious about really just two things. The first was ensuring that our son was admitted into a preschool because we had found out we were moving to Arlington about a day after enrollment and every preschool in the county had closed. And the second was finding a barbershop. Allison will tell you that when it comes to a barbershop, I'm, I'm pretty picky, almost to a fault. Almost. When we lived in Chesapeake, it took me 18 months to find a barber I trusted, and then six months after finding that barber, we moved. There's a fine line between a salon and a barbershop. There's something about the smell of talcum powder that takes me back to when I was a kid, getting my hair cut with my grandfather, a retired Air Force officer, either going down to Quantico or over to Cameron Station. The buzz of the clippers, the click of the switch to turn them on, accompanied by hearing the latest news from the community. There's just something about it that puts me at ease. I've noticed something in Arlington over the past few years. There are few places we go to where we choose to be in a conversation at the least, or community when we're at our best, with people who think and look different from us. We tend to self-select into tribes within our neighborhoods, and even when choosing the types of establishments we're going to patronize. Places like barbershops and coffee cafes have become places where we are willing to, at the least, sit in a chair or at a table next to someone who looks, thinks, and worships differently than we do. We can choose to skip the neighborhood civic meeting or the local dad or mom group because of the topic being discussed or maybe we don't agree with the guest speaker. But sitting down at a coffee shop or while having Spud trim your neckline with a straight razor, it's hard to walk away the moment the conversation turns into a direction we don't want it. Or worse, we don't want to consider the person sitting next to us or the person wielding the straight razor having any validity over our own strongly held convictions. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Beatitudes. You all know the story. Blessed are this, blessed are they. This is a scene similar to Moses climbing Mount Sinai and coming down and delivering the Ten Commandments to Israel. 
Jesus traveled up a mountain, followed by his disciples. He sat down, and then he began what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. On the side of a mountain, without his MacBook or a study Bible and commentary, without a witty joke or a great story to draw the audience in, Jesus began to flip the commonly held teaching and understanding of the day. This flip would become the hallmark for his ministry. This sermon given by Jesus is the basis for the good news that would be proclaimed by his disciples. This is the good news that we proclaim today. Those who will find their blessing in his kingdom, the kingdom he had come to proclaim, the kingdom of heaven, they are the ones who have felt as though or been told they were not within the reach of God's blessing. They were outside of God's love. These are people who would have asked tough questions of religious leaders like me, the Pharisees. The people who sought peace while living under the peace of Caesar. Peace guaranteed and ensured by the sword. People who were soft-spoken or not even given a voice or a seat at the table. Those who suffered because of their commitment to following God's laws. Following God's laws with justice and mercy as best they could. And they were unwilling to cave when pressure from political and religious establishments leaned, leaned heavily on them. What I love most about going to the barbershop and spending time in coffee shops is that these commonplaces, these third spaces, turn into a means of experiencing God's grace. You know, in a coffee shop, avocado to- toast becomes more than an overpriced brunch item. And in the barbershop, pomade and scissors are more than a method in which your pastor continues to look their best. Jesus' invitation is to experience a shared life with those we've been told we cannot join at shared spaces in our neighborhood. Joining one another at common tables and in common chairs is an invitation to experience the difference a life together, a life held in God's blessing can make. One of the common places we spend a lot of time in during the summer months is the pool. And I know because I've heard many of you talk about the commitment that your family makes during swim season that you spend a lot of time at the pool as well. There's no shortage of pools in Northern Virginia. At the pool, we see our kids, friends from school, people from church do a double take because they can't figure out why the youth group lifeguard is yelling at the, their pastor to go down the water slide properly. We see people from the neighborhood. Water slides, splashing, and lifeguard whistles. They all level the playing field, creating a space where all people can come together, relax, and enjoy the community together. This wasn't always the case. One of the most iconic scenes from Mr. Rogers' neighborhood took place outside the neighborhood of make-believe. In the spring of 1969, just five years after Black and white protesters jumped into a whites-only hotel swimming pool, and the hotel owner poured acid in the water. Mr. Rogers invited Officer Clemens, a regular character in the neighborhood, 
to share a kiddie pool on a hot summer's day. It wasn't really summer. It was the spring and springtime. Well, springtime in Pittsburgh isn't always that warm. But Mr. Rogers and Officer Clemens, they're sitting in their lawn chairs in the recording studio, place their feet into the pool. And then the camera focused in on the two sets of feet, one white and one black, and the green garden hose with the brass nozzle spraying water. At that moment, at that moment in a blue plastic swimming pool, the blessing and grace of the common table was shared on televisions and with families in a time when blessing and equality were, were determined along racial lines. This is exactly what Jesus was describing in his sermon. He wasn't prescribing a list of tasks for us to do, but instead he told his disciples, and frankly he's telling us today, exactly what his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, will look like. And what you may not know about this scene from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is that Mr. Rogers and Officer Clemens, well, they were friends in real life. After appearing on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for over a year, the actor who played Officer Clemens, Francois Clemens, went to his friend Fred. And I have to be honest with you for a moment. It feels weird calling Mr. Rogers Fred because he never gave me permission to call him Fred. But, but Francois went to his friend Fred and he came out. I mean, this coming out is a difficult thing for a person to do in 2020, let alone 1969. Francois was nervous. I mean... He was afraid. His friend Fred was an ordained pastor. Was pastor friend turn him away? I mean, in 2020, clergy don't have the greatest reputation when it comes to moments like this. And I can't imagine the situation was any better. It was probably worse back in 1969. Would Mr. Rogers follow through on his song? Liking Francois just the way he was? I will always love you, Francois, Fred said. Blessed are the poor, the meek and the persecuted. Blessed are those who are kept out of the temple, kept out of the church. Blessed are those without the ability to speak for themselves. Blessed are those who are abused, harmed for no other reason than they look or live differently than we think they should. Blessed are those who are told to zip up their identity and hide it from the world. We experience this blessing and grace every time we turn and we gather around common tables and in common places. We experience this and we receive a preview of the kingdom of heaven every time we gather around Christ's table of grace and we share a meal. This invitation, it extends into coffee shops and barber shops, into playgrounds and into lunchrooms. We experience a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven when we turn to one another and we say, I will always love you just the way you are. Every time we hear Jesus' invitation to his table and we share bread and wine and we take seriously this invitation to all people, the poor and the rich, the meek and the powerful, the hungry and those of us with plenty. 
We are experiencing the grace and the promise of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' table is a table of blessing, a common table where the excluded are welcomed and honored and blessed. What we do here this morning, what we do in this service every single week, it may seem repetitious, but in the breaking of bread and the sharing of a cup, all of what we do extends outward to all of the other places. We don't want this to happen where we're told it cannot happen. The grace extended to us by God at this table is a call to extend grace to tables of our own making. In the coffee shops, at the barbershop, and on the playground. A place setting has been prepared for you. A chair is open, and no expense has been spared by the host. Jesus is the host of this feast. It is his kingdom. And he has invited us to join him alongside those we have neglected to invite. Thanks be to God. Amen.